Welcome to Basic Brewing Radio for Thursday, September 29th. I'm James Spencer. Here at Basic Brewing Radio, we're all about home brewing, making beer at home. You know, tasting beer is an important skill in home brewing. Whether you're sampling your beer for the first time or evaluating a craft beer you might want to try to clone, the sense of taste plays an important part. Well, there may be more to tasting than you think. This week, we have a fascinating interview with Dr. Scott Herness from Ohio State University. Dr. Herness will let us in on the science of tasting and may help to dispel at least a couple of myths associated with tasting. It's an interesting interview. But first, let's take a look into the mailbag. Ted from Cape Cod, Massachusetts, writes in with a simple message this week. Ted says, I think the show's great. Works for me, Ted. I appreciate your writing in. My wife and I uh, visited friends in Boston a few years back, and we picked a really windy day to visit Cape Cod. It's beautiful, uh, but chilly and windy. Uh, we did take time to have a great lobster for lunch. A couple of folks wrote in to uh, recommend a, a mead website this week. Ted from West Covina, California, and Kirk, who didn't let us know where he lives, both sang the praises of gotmead.com. That's G O T. M-E-A-D dot com. And uh, Ted suggested we try a recipe on the site called Ancient Orange. Not Agent Orange, but Ancient Orange. Ted says the recipe is about as unconventional as they come, and I'll agree. Among the ingredients are honey, of course, an orange, raisins, and bread yeast. Hmm. You'll have to check it out and see what you think. Uh, I plan to give it a shot one day. It makes a gallon, so, you know, what have you got to lose? I'll put a, a, a link to Got Mead and a link to the Ancient Orange recipe on basicbrewingradio.com. Be interested to see uh, your feedback on that. Rick from Sacramento wrote in to point out something that needed to be fixed on our website, and I appreciate Rick taking the time to do that. You know, you proofread something about a thousand times or more, and uh, after a while, you just don't see it anymore. So thanks to Rick for the catch on the site. And finally in the mailbag, Eric from Minneapolis writes in with a request for advice. He says, I've been brewing since the beginning of this year and have done seven batches. All have turned out good, and I know I will continue to brew for years and years to come. Congratulations, Eric. I have the deluxe kit from Northern Brewer, and I want to add some more equipment. I would like to hear where my money would be best spent. Where should I upgrade? Chiller or a large pot to do full boils, uh, 8 gallons or 10 gallons, or etc. So thanks. He uh, or I told Eric what I would suggest, but I want to know what you think. Eric has a good set of gear for fermenting and such, but wants to know whether he should next buy a chiller or a big pot. If you'd like to put in your two cents worth, or if you want to suggest something else other than the chiller or the big pot, if you want to put in your uh, input, you can write to james at basicbrewing.com or use the contact form on basicbrewing.com. I want to see if you say the same thing that I did. And uh, by the way, if you email me at one of those methods and don't hear back from me within a day or so, uh, email me using the other method just to make sure it works. Uh, I want to make sure that uh, all the emails are getting through. So either james at basicbrewing.com or the contact form on basicbrewing.com. And please let us know where you're from. And uh, thanks to everybody for writing in. 
Um, I appreciate the input and support. Now to our guest for today, Dr. Scott Herness has uh, received his uh, Ph.D. at Florida State University studying taste physiology and did postdoctoral training at the Rockefeller University in New York City studying in the same field. He's now a professor in the College of Dentistry at The Ohio State University. Well, the first question we asked Dr. Herness is, how do people taste? Really the first important point to make about how people taste is that we commonly um, misunderstand what we're what we mean when we use the word taste because actually taste is just a sensation that arises from stimulating taste buds in the mouth but whenever we eat a meal or sip a beverage we're actually stimulating multiple sensory systems at the same time and all that information comes to the brain at once so more appropriately we call that flavor so we taste quote unquote taste actually with many different sensory systems, and that includes uh, the olfactory system and the taste system and a bunch of really interesting free nerve endings in the oral cavity that respond to things like ethanol and carbon dioxide, which I think beer tasters might be interested in knowing about. So it goes beyond the tongue. Absolutely beyond the tongue. And in fact, it even, um, the color Vision and audition, the color and the sound of what we eat or drink can influence the perception that we have. And I can give you a really quick example of that. Some of my colleagues have done experiments where they've taken strawberry flavoring and either put it with red food dye or yellow food dye or green food dye. And if it's the wrong color, people have a hard time recognizing what they're tasting. Hmm. Instead of saying strawberry, they want to say, oh, well, I'm not sure. It's kind of citrusy or maybe fruity, but they can't pin it down. That's like grape flavoring in candy. It, it tastes nothing like grape, but it's purple, so yes, it's got to exactly be grape. exactly right. That's, uh, food companies are very well aware of that. And, and in beer, if you have a dark beer, people are going to assume that it's going to be a heavy, strong taste, but the color of the beer doesn't necessarily indicate the taste of the beer. That's exactly correct. So we have, we have preconceived notions when we see color. And um, that will influence our psychological expectations of what we're going to taste. But it doesn't really influence at all what our taste, how our taste buds react to that. And, and smell, how does smell come into it? Smell is very important, very, very important in flavor perception. And um, I can give you a, a, a quick example that illustrates that as well. Um, it's commonly thought that when we get a cold, we lose our sense of taste because we sit down to eat a meal and suddenly it's not enjoyable anymore. A whole, a whole aspect of our flavor experience is gone. Well, we've done experiments. We, my colleagues in the field, have done experiments. And we know that actually when you have a cold, there's nothing wrong with your sense of taste. Your sense of taste is absolutely normal. The difference is you have a cold, you have a head full of mucus, and olfactory stimuli can't get to the olfactory receptor neurons. So you've lost your sense of smell. So that's what I mean by that difference between taste and flavor. We use that word taste colloquially to mean what we experience when we um, sip a beer or have a, have a glass of wine, if I'm allowed to use the W word on oh, the show. Oh, sure. <laughs> 
and we get all those experiences at once. Um, taste is only one component of that. So olfaction plays a big role in how we perceive uh, foods and beverages. So if you have a cold and you are just tasting, isolating what's happening on the tongue, what kinds of, of tastes are we tasting with just the tongue? Yeah, so just the tongue itself is really a, a rather uh, primitive sensory system. And unlike olfaction, where we can literally have thousand different types of smells, we really only have about four basic tastes on from the taste system alone. Sweet, sour, salty, and bitter. In, in strategies of tasting beer, mm -hmm. then you would probably say that it is important to get the full sensory experience Absolutely. To, to drink the beer in a glass where you can see the color of the beer and yeah. also get the, the aroma. And drinking from the bottle, you wouldn't get the whole experience. I would, I would definitely agree with that. If you wanted to enhance your sensory experience of drinking the beer, then you'd want to do that in a, in a way that would maximally stimulate as many of these different types of receptors as possible. Um, and that would include really uh, taking a, an effort to get the aroma of the beer in, into your nose, like really sniffing it. Or swirling, swirling the beer to kind of release some of those molecules, which, I guess. Which is, uh, you know, a very common practice of wine tasting because the oxygen actually reacts with um, uh, molecules in the, in the wine itself to release esters and aldehydes that are then perceptible perceived by the nose. I was I was having a conversation with someone who is actually a home brewer mm -hmm. at a party the other night and when I said that flavors in uh, beers, good beers, are every bit as complex and interesting as in a good wine, he laughed at me. You know, he thought I was being silly, but you know, would you would you agree with that? I would I would definitely agree with that. I can't um, see why a beer um, the sensory experience of a beer wouldn't be as complex as what one would perceive from wine. In fact, um, the tongue, the nose, makes no difference if it's beer or wine. There are multiple components in beer besides just the um, alcohol or the carbon dioxide or a little bit of sugar. There's all these other components of the flavor that are brought in by the malts and the hops in the beer. And so it would be a wide array. And then you would talk about the balance between all these different flavor components. And the tongue and the nose can do a great job at deciphering among that the balance of these components. And whether it's from beer or wine is, is indifferent to those senses. They're just doing their jobs. Now let, let's talk about the tongue specifically. Sure. Uh, you know, we see... In textbooks, and I've even seen in uh, in beer books recently on how to brew maps of the tongue. Yeah, you know where you've got the little area circled that that says bitter, and the little area that's salty, and the little area that's sweet. How accurate are those maps? Well, would you believe completely inaccurate? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, boy, I remember seeing those uh, maps from when I was in elementary school, and they were in my textbooks back then. Uh, in fact, what those maps typically are saying is that there are different regions of the tongue where we taste these four qualities. In fact, that is not true. That's, that's absolutely not true. We can taste all four qualities 
everywhere across the tongue. Hmm. Sweet, sour, salty, and bitter on the tip and in the back of the tongue, sweet, sour, salty, and bitter. However, there are regional differences in the sensitivity to these taste qualities. So, in fact, the tip of the tongue is more sensitive to sweet stimuli. The back of the tongue is more sensitive to bitter stimuli. And there is some evidence that the sides of the tongue are more um, sensitive to sour. So it's not an either-or, it's just a, correct. A, a degree of sensitivity. Yeah. Actually, there's a little little story about that. This work was actually done in the 1800s in Germany uh, by a great set of psychophysicists. And when that work was translated into English around the early 1900s, it was mistranslated. So instead of being regional sensitivity, it was translated as being absolute sensitivity. Ah. And then it was just perpetuated textbook after textbook <laughs> after textbook. And so this is something that my colleagues and I are always fighting, trying to get the truth out there about what those maps really mean. <laughs> so so all because of a, a bad translation. Yeah, yeah. Millions of uh, grade school kids that are... true. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, well, let's... let's uh, we we haven't talked about uh, we haven't touched uh, greatly on on temperature. How does how does temperature affect uh, tasting? Well, um, when you're there, when you're tasting a beverage, there's really three major sensory systems that are giving information to the brain. There's the sense of smell, there's the sense of taste, and there's there's something that we have called the common chemical sense or chemesthesis, and these are free nerve endings that are distributed all throughout the oral cavity. They're on the inner linings of the cheek. They're all distributed all throughout the tongue, on the roof of the mouth. And they're, they're um, sent to the brain by a different nerve than either the nerves that sense, smell, or sense taste. Uh, and these free nerve endings respond to a number of different stimuli. They respond to temperature. Uh, in fact, it seems that there are separate, as we're learning now, there are separate nerve fibers to respond to cold and other nerve fibers that respond to warmth and heat. In addition to responding to temperature, they respond to many different chemicals. There are um, receptors for pain receptors in the nerve that respond to most of the active ingredients of spices. Hmm. So uh, capsaicin being the primary um, in hot ingredient of hot peppers. And so when we are eating salsa, we're actually stimulating pain receptors for that hot spicy. And indeed, uh, the spicy fibers tend to be the ones that respond to warm temperature. On the other hand, alcohol and carbon dioxide also stimulate these free nerve endings. So we're not getting that taste from the sense of t taste. We're getting it from these free nerve endings and they tend to be enhanced by cooling sensations because they seem to be more often represented by nerve fibers that respond to cold stimuli. Hmm. So in this way, the alcohol and the carbon dioxide, that might be enhanced by a lower temperature because it's the same set of nerve fibers that are sending that information to the brain. And so you, you, you would get a different taste from your beer as it goes, I'd, as I'd it warms up? I'd say you get up. a different balance. Hmm. It, you know, it, I mean, certainly you would taste all those qu qualities, all those different perceptions at room temperature, 
but I think you would change the balance of those by altering the temperature of the beer. Yeah, I guess I guess we need to. I, I need to change my 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 uh, vocabulary or lexicon. I need to say more sensory instead of tasting, because as you said before, it's all, it's all together in the smell in this. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So and, and, we use that word taste colloquially all the time, and you know, I'm, the good example for here would be what tastes great, less filling. <laughs> <laughs> right. And we all know what we mean by that. But when we want to have a real discussion about how the biology of this system, then then we have to start being more precise because it, it breaks down. Uh, the discussion breaks down when we don't use when we use taste in a generic sense instead of a specific biological sense. I used to work at a food company, and when I first got there, they had taste panels, and over the oh, yeah. years, they called them sensory panels. Yes, that's right. And they built a specific room for this. Oh yeah, where they had a, a reverse. Uh, you know, the air flowed out from the room, and and the sound was isolated, and they can control the co- color temperature of the lights. Absolutely, uh, I have many colleagues that do that type of work for sensory panel evaluation, and that's because all of these things, as I've mentioned can influence the perception even the color the color of the food the, that the the light is producing so you want to control all of that so you can just try to measure one variable now uh andy sparks and i are going to the uh, great american beer festival and yeah, i'm a little envious yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i haven't asked you are you are you a beer fan uh, well, I'm, I certainly imbibe. That's, that's true. I'm learning <laughs> now about beers, yes, and uh, find, find it quite interesting. Well, hopefully we can push you in the direction of good beers. Yes, that would, I, suggestions are welcome. <laughs> well, there, there are, it's said to be 1,600 beers to sample at the Great American Beer Festival. Now, is there such a thing as, as taste fatigue, and how would we deal with that in a situation where, hopefully, we're tasting many beers in a short period of time? Well, there are there, um, taste fatigue. There's certainly adaptation that's going on. So if you wanted to ask me the question, could, the, could tasting beer B after beer A could that be different than just tasting beer B alone? And the answer would be yes. Mm. Can can one uh, can one beer influence the taste of a subsequent different beer? The, if you don't wait long enough, the answer could definitely be yes, because we have this uh, phenomenon in sensory stimuli, a broad array of sensory stimuli called adaptation. And for humans, in fact, adaptation is rather pronounced. So what happens with adaptation is. Here, a good example is just imagine a piece of hard candy. So that's really just, you know, sugar, mm-hmm. uh, crystallized sugar. And you put that in your mouth. Now, if you do this experiment, you will, you will notice. You just put that in your mouth and be very careful not to move it around. Just put it in your mouth. It'll taste sweet. And then pretty soon the sweet taste will just go away. Then move, start moving it around in your mouth. All of a sudden it'll start tasting sweet again. That's because when you didn't move it, you were just stimulating a certain number of taste buds in the tongue, and they adapt it. So the, the, the sensory stimulus, uh, sensation disappeared. But when you moved it around, you started stimulating new taste buds, and then the sensation uh, reappeared. It's, it's similar to an experiment we did in junior high. I remember you can blindfold a person and say, put like an orange under their nose and ask them to tell you when you've taken it away 
and you can hold it there and keep it there, and they'll say, okay, it's away now. Yeah, that's right. And they can't smell it anymore. That That's exactly right. And and we all know we've walked in rooms that, that had terrible smells in them. <laughs> and after you've been in that room for five minutes, it's not as bad anymore. That's adaptation. And so bitter stimuli at adapt. So if there's bitter stimuli in one beer and you're tasting another beer that, that has a bitter component to it, it might taste less bit less bitter um, on the subsequent sip. So, so this would really come into play if you're, say, judging uh, a beer category in a in a competition, where say you're you're tasting a like an IPA, which is a very bitter or very very hoppy uh, oh, yeah. beer. If you're tasting them one after another, say the fifth or sixth one that you you got to. It may not get a fair shake if you don't take your time in in judging. I would definitely say yes. That's absolutely true. It would be good. I don't know that that um, these judges have the time to do that. It would even even be good to take water rinses in between beers if you really want it to um, try to do it do it as carefully as possible, just to be able to get some of those. Uh, bitter components out of the mouth and washed away. But saliva will do that as well. So just waiting a, a, a period of time, at least several minutes between beers would help to bring you back down to ba- back to baseline before you t- taste at the subsequent beer. And there's one other point I should make here when we're talking about tasting um, several beers in a row, and that is that, you know, um, these sensations appear in different uh, temporal patterns. And by that I mean the taste buds are very accessible to stimuli in the mouth. So bitter components, sweet components, sugars, you'll taste those right away. But ethanol and carbon dioxide, they have, these free nerve endings are actually in the tissue, buried under the tissue. So these have to actually diffuse into the tissue before they can get to these nerve endings. And that takes a longer period of time for it to start and a longer period of time for it to go away. Hmm. And I can give you a really easy, everybody will recognize this example. Okay, so you're in a restaurant and you said you were brave and you said, I want the extra hot salsa. Mm -hmm. And you took a bite of that and boy, it was hotter than you thought. (laughs) What do you do? You grab a glass of water and start drinking, but it doesn't go away, does it? Yeah, it takes a while. that those spices are inside the tissue, and they, it takes a while for them to diffuse away. Uh, some beer styles are becoming more and more bitter and kind of pushing the envelope and becoming more and more bitter. That's interesting. Are the people that drink these bitter beers, are they becoming more accustomed to that bitterness over time, or is there something physiologically happening? It's kind of like you, you brought up salsa. You know, it's kind of a macho thing. If you like hot salsa, you're to to get that experience of that pain, you're going to want to kick it up a notch and go to the the hotter salsa. Yeah. What's going on there? Well, I'm glad you brought up the comparison between the bitters in the beer and the salsa because they're those are actually very different. And for the salsa, if you repetitively in a consume very spicy food, so I mean you have it in your diet you know, every day, every other day, you know, you eat a lot of spicy food, there are actually major changes that go on in the oral cavity with these and these nerve fibers. And these nerve fibers are actually less sensitive to the spicy components, and it takes more of the spicy components to get the same sensation. Hmm. But that's not true with bitterness. 
bitterness is is quite different because now we're talking about the taste system instead of this common chemical sense. And and we don't have any evidence, though people have looked, that if you consume a lot of bitter stimuli that somehow your taste buds react differently. Maybe they're less sensitive to the beer, to the bitterness. In fact, that's not true. The taste buds are just as sensitive to bitter stimuli if you have a lot of bitter or a little bitter in your diet. What is happening is that people are changing their preferences. Mm. They're changing their psychological uh, component to the flavor of what they're consuming. So, for example, ethanol, alcohol, is inherently aversive. If you give it to any animal, they, they'll they stay far away from it. And if you give it to a child, they hate it. Mm. But it's a learned preference. <laughs> <laughs> we learn to like it. <laughs> it doesn't. The, our sensory exp- experience to ethanol doesn't change, but we learn... Uh, we've associated it with different things, so we've learned to like it. So it's all and, in the brain. So I would say that a, a, a um, movement towards a more bitter beer is a movement of um, psychological associations that beer tasters are having that are now considering this to be more preferable. So it's it's something that, that we're, we're just getting used to. You're beginning to like it more for uh, for whatever particular reason that is. But your tongue is not reacting differently to the bitterness. So there's nothing physiologically happening no, there. No, it's and all in the brain. And I guess it's good news that, that we're not burning out our taste buds. Oh, no. <laughs> Irreparably. Oh, no. <laughs> they'll, they'll serve you well for quite a long time. Now, there's, there's one more area that I want to touch on. Sure. And is there a, a physiological difference between men and women with how they taste things. Women are, are, are said to be, uh, and not every woman, I don't want to cast a blanket, but typically uh, if my wife is an example and, and the people, that, the women that I know, they don't like the bitter beers, even beers that I perceive as not being very bitter at all. Again, we have looked a lot in human sensory uh, experience at different sex differences between men and women, and really there, we haven't found any innate differences. So when we talk about the taste system, sweet, sour, salty, and bitter, pretty much the same across uh, men and women. There really aren't any differences there. There's some subtle exceptions to that. One is that there, there are some examples of um, changes in uh, women's taste. Now, I'm speaking about the taste buds now. Uh, during pregnancy when um, progesterones and estrogens get very high. And there's another example that is there are these things, uh, these these individuals called super tasters that we're just beginning to learn about. It's a very small population, proportion of the population, maybe 20% of people fall into what we call super tasters. And super tasters taste everything like we do, but everything's more intense to them. Mid-range concentrations are more intense. Bitter's more intense. Sweet's more intense. And super tasters tend to be more female than male. Huh. But that would only be account for a very small percentage of um, the s- sex differences between men and women. So mostly, I'd say it's, again, learned psychological preferences for what we individually like and choose to say that we dislike. So so maybe men have more experience in drinking the bitter beers than, than women. That could well be. 
<laughs> maybe men, uh, you know, consider it a more macho thing to do, to go after those more bitter beers. But that's all psychological preference. Well, there you go. Well, I, listen, I appreciate your spending so much time with us. It's been a fascinating conversation. I, I hope that uh, homebrewers out there in, in trying to identify uh, what's going on in their own beer and then trying to find, you know, identify what they like in, in other beers that they taste will uh, we'll get something out of it. I appreciate your time. Thanks, James. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. We appreciate Scott Herness for taking time to talk to us. One more note to add to the conversation. In talking afterwards, Scott brought up the point that when you swallow, you get another chance to smell your beer as the scents from from your beer kind of go back in the back door of your sinuses uh, to reach your nose. So that may explain some of those tastes that we get right after we swallow. Well, next week we hope to have a recap of the uh, Great American Beer Festival, and that should be a lot of fun. Remember, if you have brewing questions, show suggestions, or just want to say hey, write to james at basicbrewing.com or fill out the contact form on basicbrewing.com. And please don't forget to tell us where you're from. And if you're new to home brewing or if you're interested in getting into it for the first time while you're on our site, you can check out our DVD, Basic Brewing Introduction to Extract Home Brewing. Uh, you can see a listing of the fine folks across the country who sell our DVD. And if there isn't a vendor in your area, you can order it online. Well, that's all until next week. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm James Spencer, production help for Basic Brewing Radio and our website. He's provided by Kelly Dotson. Basic Brewing Radio is a production of Active Voicing. We'll talk to you next time. So long. <laughs>